Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. This week, I'm here with uh, Pastor Blake Penland from Women Terrace Mission. Thanks for joining me, Blake. I appreciate you coming. No worries, man. I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking about this, this wild topic. Yeah, it is wild. I want to say before we begin that you're one of, the, one of my favorite people to have on the podcast, really. And for several reasons, I think you have a lot of good things to say. You're just a fun guy. You're, you're articulate. And yeah, you got a, it's cool. You got a lot of practical experience too, right? A lot of the things you say are not just based on a theoretical understanding of a subject, but you're a practical guy. And a lot of the things you share are, are super practical. So that's one of the reasons why I like you on, but. Wow. So, hey, Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Today's podcast, brother, is entitled Too Cool for Evangelism. And <laughs> it's a pretty, I love, I love the title. When you sent that title to me, I was like, oh, okay, this is, I've never done a podcast about too cool for evangelism. That's interesting. And it was really intriguing in my mind because I'm just thinking, okay, where's he going to take this? What, what does this mean? Too cool for evangelism. So I actually want to ask you, what are we talking about here? What does yeah. this mean? Okay. You have studied at university and you went to public school as a kid in the United States. Did you ever meet a group of people who were too cool for something? Oh yeah. A, that group was just too cool for a certain thing. What's an example of that? Sadly, I probably was one of those guys as well too. Cause you know, when you're young and dumb trying to be cool in front of everyone, you're like, Oh, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. Oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the opposite of that thing. And we make fun of, cause I wasn't a very, good kid in high school <laughs> that's the opposite of that and when you think that you're too cool for something you're like you're just trying to make everyone else think that thing that other people are doing is lame and you shouldn't be a part of it so that you look better by putting that thing down but really in reality it's just a revelation of your own insecurity so what were some things that you were too cool for as a kid class in general all things study basically anything our teachers or principals said was a good thing <laughs> i was too cool for that the exact whatever it, it didn't matter whatever they said i would do the exact opposite just because i was like yeah no too cool for that doesn't matter yeah. even my teachers like, hey we want to give you 100 bucks no no no, too cool for don't want that yeah you know? but that was that's just because that's in reality that really just you're trying to put on a, a mask or trying to put on uh, a persona that makes you better than others that's really yeah. what you're doing or the gain status in a certain group so mm -hmm. that when you're too cool for something you're not really thinking about why you you know don't like it or that you pretend not to like it or the you, you don't do it. You're just doing it for status sake. It's a social thing. So you're part of a group and in that group, there's certain behaviors or attitudes that are unpopular. And so you must be too cool for those attitudes and behaviors. So that way you can have status in your group. And so that's like the whole too cool mindset. Like I grew up in Florida and it's very similar to you. I was uh, too cool for parental authority. Right. Oh, totally. Like, respect my parents. I was too cool for that. So in the groups that I spent time in, we were just too cool for our parents. We were too cool for school itself. Right. hundred percent too cool for school. We couldn't be bothered because we had it going on, man. We had too many waves to catch, too much fun to have. And school was a drag. We weren't really processing and thinking deeply about school. Knowledge is a gift and assimilating lots of knowledge makes you a better person, a more rounded person, a more capable person. We weren't thinking or rejecting becoming more <laughs> capable human beings. We're rejecting becoming more decent human beings. We're rejecting becoming more successful human beings. We just knew school is stupid. Teachers are stupid. We're too cool for people, right? Like oh, just, absolutely. It was like a herd instinct kind of thing. Florida is like the East Coast California too. 
basically yeah. like that uh, i can just imagine like everything you're describing i'm like yeah it's pretty much how it was over because I, I grew up in california so we're on the other end of the country but the mindset the only difference is florida is just a little more hillbilly a little more it's like california but with a bunch of red <laughs> it's like california with gravy um <laughs> yeah yeah so our audience is thinking why in the world are these two dudes talking about what they were too cool for, or this whole idea of <laughs> cool for something. And here, here's why. So I came to Australia to be mm. the evangelism director in North New South Wales. And when I first got here in 2012, there was an evangelism series that was being run at Avondale Memorial Church. And they stuck a big statue, a big airfield statue of the image of Daniel 2 up in the lawn at the church to attract the chin advertised for the campaign. I was there. I saw it. It was gigantic. Yeah, it was like just, huge. 10 meter or maybe 30 meter. I don't know. They have two different ones that they used to put up in different places. Daniel 2 statue. And I noticed on social media, some of the people from college criticize it. I'm not mentioning that people from college were criticizing it to, to reflect on college. It was just some of the kids that studied at college were mocking and scoffing at that statue. And one kid said something like, oh, this is why people think we're utter because it's a ridiculous statue and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And in all the criticism of that statue, in all the commentary on evangelism that I heard in response to that statue, I saw it was very clear that the underlying disposition was being too cool for something. It wasn't as if the people were really thinking through whether or not it was effective to stick a statue up in a church lawn or whether that could garner attention and prick people's interest. It, it wasn't, people weren't thinking like rationally through the process of what has had been done by the church. They were just like emotionally reacting against it. That's not cool. That's why people think we're crazy. We shouldn't do that. And I thought, I don't know if that's the best attitude for Christ followers to have, right? Because the Bible says that we become fools for Christ's sake. Yeah. We're not worrying about looking how we look per se in society for our sake. We want to we want to look obviously we, want, we care about our reputation and god's reputation but we don't take that so far so that we're where we're just like trying to be in with a certain crowd of people yeah and i'm just thinking there's a verse in proverbs 8 that says something along the lines of the wisdom of man is foolishness to the lord and so the things that even we think are wise are nothing in compared to what god thinks is wise that's just the converse of what you're saying is we think we're so brilliant so smart cool and reality we're just trying to, we're clutching at straws, basically. It's the, the best idea that we could ever have is nothing compared to God. And yet we mock and criticize someone for using a concept from the Bible to attract people to their church. Mm. I, I think that's, I think we need to be careful of that. Like, you'd be careful not to have that spirit. Like, what real criticism would someone have had for a church doing that? Because, yeah, Daniel 2 the Daniel 2 statue is an image from the Bible. So if you put an image of a cross in front of your church, would that would that be something that someone would criticize? Oh, this is why people think we're crazy because we put crosses in front of our churches. Yeah. So That's I, a crazy I, thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like fundamentally putting a Daniel 2 statue in front of your church is, is just like putting any image from the Bible in front of your church. And so that criticism that was being leveled at the Daniel 2 statue, it didn't have any biblical basis or any, I wouldn't even say any rational basis. It was just, I'm too cool for that. And the thing that really bothered me about that, I wouldn't say that I was bothered in any like significant way, but I was bothered on a superficial level. But the thing that bothered me with that was that I don't think that people should relate to soul winning and evangelism the way that they relate to fashions and trends in the world. We should have serious reasons for opposing something like serious, thoughtful reasons for saying, 
that's not something another person should do, or that's not something we as a church should do. Because and the reason why is because how do we know that God has not said that person should do that thing? Who do you think you are to tell someone else that God is not leading them to do that? Yeah, it's just a, I think that's a really important point. So if I don't have a biblical reason to disapprove of evangelism and how someone's doing it, then I probably should just be quiet because I don't want to take the place of God and be telling someone what God's telling them to do or to not do. What if the church board had prayed and God gave like visions and dreams to people that that was the approach that they should take? Like, or if what that, what if that's the, the approach that's best for them to take? Who are you to mock it and to scoff it and to ridicule it? Because you're too well, for evangelism, right? It's a kind of a revelation of what kind of spirit is really going on. When do we see, and, and this is a, a legitimate question, I, I don't actually know the answer, but when do we see the the remnant of God or the followers of God scoffing? Like, I just, you just don't see that spirit in Christ. To scoff? I don't know. That's the, that whole idea and what we would let's contextualize this word scoffing is like trolling someone on the internet let's let's be real of what that actually is yeah. so when do we see jesus trolling anybody in his in the gospels he rebukes some people he calls the pharisees some pretty wild stuff but that's not a trolling spirit that's not a scoffing spirit and if we're to be Christians and followers of Christ, I just don't see that example anywhere in scripture to scoff or to troll someone. Yeah, amen. And we've got to realize sometimes that we have certain social circles that we may be connected to in the church. And we need to make sure that the way we're relating to evangelism is not the way that a kid in a clique in high school relates to a certain fashion or trend. Mm. So they just dismiss someone or something based upon what their little social group feels and thinks because they're just trying to gain status in that group. And I, I really think this is something that happens quite frequently. It's not ubiquitous or universal in the Adventist church, but I think that it's there. I've heard it. I've seen it. I felt it. And I think that it's, it inhibits God's spirit's work in our church. If someone oftentimes... I'll hear someone say, I've heard pastors say this, oh, evangelism as we have done it in the past, it just doesn't work. And I think, well, there was an evangelistic meeting, but there are churches in our conference that have maintained over the last 10 years, the, the highest number of converts and the most net growth than any other church. And they do like public evangelism as it was traditionally done. So as the director of evangelism in this conference, I know that. And so I'll hear people saying, evangelism as we've traditionally done it doesn't work. And then I think, well, then it's interesting that the churches that are growing the most in our conference do evangelism. What you're talking about is it's tough to fight the scoreboard. So there was a time when I used to play basketball a little more competitively than I do now. I just shoot around because I'm getting older. And there were times after the game, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of trash talking, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Like people trash talk each other throughout the whole game. But once the game is over, if you've lost, the trash talk has to stop because all you have to do is look, point to the scoreboard and be like, hey, all the stuff that you said that whole game, yeah, it's irrelevant because you lost. Stop trash talking. And what I'm hearing from you is the data, the research, the information has come in to basically solidify your position saying, hey, the people who are actually doing evangelism, even in the quote unquote traditional way of evangelism, like the scoreboard doesn't lie. So stop the trash talking, like step back. You Like you have to understand that if you're, if you spent half as much time or half as much energy on actually winning souls for Christ, instead of saying how much all of these other things don't work, how much better would the kingdom be? How much better off would the kingdom be?
Totally. And, you know, if someone were to say, hey, listen, a traditional public evangelistic series is it's just not what I'm passionate about. It's not where my gifts lie. Or a local church says, that's not where we're headed. We love Jesus. We love the Bible. We love to bring people to faith in Christ. We love the fundamental teachings of scripture. We're Adventists. We're just not into the whole, we're going to run a public series with a Jeff Yulden style evangelist. But we're gonna, this is what we're going to do, a small group kind of ministry, but we're going to teach the same truths. We're going to bring people to faith. And, and that's our evangelism. I would say, hey, amen, that's awesome. Like, mm. that's fantastic. You have a reason. It's, you're not just being too cool for evangelism. You're just making a reasonable assessment of yourselves and where God is leading you as a group. And I think the whole like too cool for stuff, it, it, that whole too cool mindset, it affects all corners of the church, conservative corners, liberal corners, all corners. So where in a conservative kind of circle, you might be too cool for anything that attaches itself to a more liberal circle, right? Mm. And so in your little group, you just patently reject certain things that other people are doing just the way those other people patently reject traditional evangelism. And I just feel like that's just not, that's just not a good attitude. That's not a good mindset. What would our church look like if we were actually too cool to be too cool? Like, what if we just said the best form of evangelism is doing evangelism? Like that, that's it. So instead of fighting, like, we can't have these public speakers coming anymore, or, or life groups are the only way to do it, like uh, small groups or the contextual way for millennials, or like, we have to do online evangelism, like, whatever it, like, the answer to evangelism is yes, yes, it's quit fighting and saying, oh, we're too cool for this kind or this kind, but like, just go out and share the gospel in the way that God has placed upon your heart to connect with people. That's what we're called to do. Totally. We're not called to troll people. Yeah. Whenever I meet a person who is seriously committed to winning others for Christ, seriously committed to bringing people to a knowledge of the truth, they're usually not disposed to trolling or to scoffing at all. It doesn't matter what particular methods they've employed. They're usually, and I think it's because they understand how excruciatingly difficult it can be to win people. Mm, mercy sacrifice that it takes. So the secret ingredient for success in soul winning is an enormous amount of sacrifice mm. and radical commitment to putting yourself aside and doing whatever it takes to win someone else. That's whether you're doing public, traditional public evangelism to truly succeed means you've got to make magnificent sacrifices and of time, of talent, of money, of energy, of everything. And well, to, not just public evangelism, Matt, personal evangelism yeah, as all well. Evangelism, everything. Yeah. The life of the receiver requires the death of the giver. And it was that was the way it was with Jesus. It takes the bloody death of the Son of God to offer salvation to anyone. And Paul says, life works in you because death works in me. He says that in 2 Corinthians 4 to his converts. So he says the same thing it took for Jesus to offer salvation is what it's taking for me to offer you Jesus's salvation. I have to die to myself. So anyone who's really committed themselves to the salvation of others, they respect anyone who's doing the same thing, no matter how they're doing it. There's so just true. a level of respect. And I think I think the scoffing comes from people who do not sacrifice themselves for the sake of the lost. Because if I like public evangelism and I'm really sacrificing myself for the sake of the lost, and that's what I'm doing, public evangelism. But I meet someone who's doing cafe style evangelism and they're maybe an artsy kind of a person, but they're legit. They're dying for people, man. And they're studying the Bible with people and they're using their, their avenue to get people into the word and making the, and paying the price and winning souls for Jesus, like truly respect. Yeah. There's just mad that, respect. Mad respect. Tons of respect, 100%. So I think that's really, yeah, something that I've noticed. I think to touch on a point that you just said, you you basically were alluding to the idea that people who have actually done evangelism 
aren't going to be trolling or scoffing at other people. Like they're not going to have that too cool for evangelism attitude. But I think on a deeper level, that's because people who are actively participating in evangelism, I, I would cha- I would say, I could be wrong about this, but I would say they're not doing it of their own volition or free will. They're doing it because the spirit of Christ is drawing them to make that sacrificial decision of their life because it is it's a sacrifice of time energy effort will and people who have the spirit of christ within them who are actively participating in evangelism they're so involved in the salvation of others that there's no time to scoff other people there's no time to troll what other people are doing there's no time to make comments about being too cool for evangelism because they're busy trying to win souls for Jesus. And and really that goes back to the there's a vision that Ellen White had that basically talks about Jesus in the center of this big hub or wheel and everyone is standing around Jesus in the center this and they're all spokes to this wheel but as they draw closer to Jesus and they don't look at other people but they're just looking at Jesus and they draw closer to Jesus and move in towards Jesus they as a result, inevitably come closer to those around them as well, because other people are moving closer to Jesus as well, too. And so Ellen White talks about this concept for unity being the idea of Peter walking on the water, keep your eyes on Jesus, because when you don't, and you troll people, you scoff, you say, oh, this is a terrible idea, you're actually taking the focus, your focus off of Jesus, and you're going to sink and you're going to cause other people to sink with you. Mm -hmm. That's so good, bro. In regards to that spirit of criticism too, if you're a teacher, you are a teacher, actually. As a teacher, you can be up front of a class and your students can critique you and, oh, he said this, or he talked like this or whatever. And it's very easy to critique the teacher until you're called to teach. And then you stand up the front. So so let's say there's 50 students in the classroom. They all to critique their teacher. And then the teacher just says, Tuesday, you're going to teach Mr. You know, John Thompson, you're going to teach. So John Thompson gets up and teaches. And after John Thompson teaches one class, he immediately thinks, oh yeah, I probably, he immediately like stops being critical. Critical. He's just not as critical anymore because he understands what it's like to stand in that position. 100%. Do your best to try to teach other people. And that I think is analogous of what I'm saying with everyone who does, who truly does soul winning ministry. Like you just understand, you're more understanding because you, you've been there. And you've done that and you're, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Hey, you know, the whole too cool thing too, sometimes with this is, it relates to like Paul saying in Romans 1, 16 and 17, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God to salvation to those who believe. And, and also Jesus says not to be ashamed of him and his words in Mark 8. And then in, in Hebrews 2, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers So you see like the Bible saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus is not ashamed of imperfect people who are flawed and kooky at times. And (laughs) we should never be ashamed of Jesus's words. And I think that the whole too cool for evangelism spirit sometimes comes from people who are ashamed of the gospel, like on some level, maybe not fully, but to some degree, they're ashamed of certain parts of the gospel. Like the disciples, they're not ashamed of Jesus when he's coming into the city triumphal as a king, but they're definitely ashamed of him when he's hanging on the cross. So so Mm. we're too cool for evangelism or like the disciples in that they're perfectly happy to stand by Jesus when he's the king coming into Jerusalem, but not when he's dying for the sins of the world on the cross. So being ashamed of the gospel, I think that to a degree is responsible for why some people are too cool for evangelism. Not being like Jesus 
and not being willing to be considered brethren of those who are imperfect. So it's a bit of a judgmental spirit. Like I'm too, I'm, I'm better than you. And the way you do things then is an embarrassment to me. So I'm, I don't want to be associated with you. And so I'm going to castigate you and criticize your evangelistic efforts um, because I'm not like Jesus and I'm not willing to call people who are imperfect, my brethren. And, uh, and I'm ashamed of Jesus's words. There are certain things that we preach in evangelism that cause offense in society. And so therefore I'm ashamed of Jesus's words. So I really do think this too cool for evangelism spirit comes from shame and unquestioned. Wow. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's a spirit of that critical spirit you were talking about earlier as well, too. It reminded me, that's, a, it's a good point. What you just said, Matt, that shame really is the engine that drives some of those comments. There's a wonderful writer named Brene Brown, who just talks about vulnerability and dealing with shame that I would encourage our listeners to, to really look into Brene Brown. She's great. But going back to this idea, the critical spirit or this criticism of people who are actually doing things. It reminds me of this amazing quote called The Man in the Arena. And I wanted to read it. I, do you know this quote? No, no, tell me. I, I may remember it once you read it, but offhand. Okay, I don't, yeah. so this quote, just to give a little context, is by Theodore Roosevelt, which is one of the guys on the Mount Rushmore, one of the presidents on Mount Rushmore. He's one of the most famous presidents of the United States. He just did a whole bunch of stuff in the early uh, 1900s for America. Anyway, he has this quote called The Man in the Arena, and I want to read it because it's just incredible. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I just think that quote really personifies and helps to articulate this this concept of a critical spirit. It's not the critic who counts. Stop spending so much time being a critic and get in the arena of evangelism. Because I promise you when you're there, you will try to do anything that you can to win souls for Jesus. Because it is blood, sweat, and tears. You said a comment earlier about how you said I'm a practical person. I'm only a practical person because I've had so many failures. The practicality comes from trying and failing repeatedly. And so this quote really, I think, helps to understand how important it is to quit wasting time on criticism and get in the arena of evangelism. Mm. Amen. Bro, thank you so much, man, for, for joining me today. It's, it's always a pleasure to chat. And, and it's really enriching for me to, to sit here and process some of these thoughts with you, man. Everyone out there, um, yeah, don't be too cool. Don't have that too cool spirit in regards to anything religious or biblical. Yeah, that's beneath the dignity of scriptural Christians, I think. That whole, I'm going to reject something attitude because I want status in a certain group. Or, yeah, let's never be ashamed of the gospel. Let's never be ashamed of our brethren. Mm. And let's never be ashamed of the words of Jesus. God bless you guys. And uh, thanks again, Blake, uh, for, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure.